Thank you for joining with me in prayer. Continue to pray for the people of the Ukraine and also for our brothers and sisters in Russia. As was mentioned a few moments ago, we're in this series of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about spiritual hunger. It's, it's hard for me to understand something, and maybe you've experienced this. It's hard for me to understand when people describe themselves as not being happy. We live, let me remind you, we live in a country that can be classified as a safe country. We live in a country where our health care system meets all of our basic health needs absolutely free. We have grocery stores in this country that are filled with shelves of food. In an article in the Globe and Mail on February 9th of this year, 2022, the public affairs columnist stated that Canada's standard of living was number five in the world. There are 195 countries in this world, and in Canada, our standard of living is at number five in the world. We are sixth in the world in health care support. We are second in the world in racial equality. We are sixth in economic freedom, according to a study at, with Forbes magazine, by Forbes magazine, And yet, I still hear people say in this country, and when you listen to them speak, I hear them often describe their life with words like, I'm bored, I'm restless, I'm unsatisfied with my life, I feel hollow and empty on the inside. I don't know about you, but maybe you know people who've described themselves as laying their head down at night, their head on the pillow, and they think to themselves, maybe you've thought of this, there's got to be more to life than this. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it talks about this conundrum, this dilemma that is within the human heart. This, you know, wanting most to achieve most in order to find satisfaction in life, and yet the writer of the Hebrew uh, of, of Ecclesiastes starts off on this incredible search to find meaning in life, and he describes all these different ways and people try to find satisfaction in life. And then at the very end of these episodes of where he's trying to find life, he always comes to this very distinct conclusion. Chapter one, he starts off by stating that he tried education. If I can get smart. He thought then life will become meaningful and satisfying and fulfilling. If I can learn everything that I need to learn, if I can read everything that I can read with all of my newfound wisdom, then perhaps I can find satisfaction in life. But he says, in the end, in the making of books, there is much weariness. In the end of all this education, he realizes, I am still empty. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes decides to pursue a great career, establish big goals, find achievements. He says he started all kinds of public works projects. And at the end of all of his accomplishments, he states, I still feel empty. 
Then he moves on to money. Maybe if I make more money, create more wealth, buy lots of fine things like clothing and jewelry and invest in art and buy stocks and bonds. Even with all the great success, at the end of that pursuit, he states, it left me empty. Then he says, maybe being famous, being popular, that's still empty. Then he thinks maybe life should be all about having fun, parties, having a good time, doing thrilling adventures. And at the end he says, I partied to my heart's content, but it still left me empty. And the writer ends his reflection by stating that what everyone says, what he thought was going to give him satisfaction in life, was an absolute and complete and total lie. Because deep inside, within his own personal being, there was a hunger that was not being satisfied. Have you ever gone to your refrigerator? I'm sure you've all done this. When you're hungry, you've gone to your refrigerator and you're standing there in front of the refrigerator and you open the door and you just stand there and look. You know you are hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for. You're standing there looking, everything looks appealing and satisfying, and there's something that you're hoping and thinking is going to make you feel better if you can grab it out of the refrigerator. And so you just stand there and you just look, you know you're hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for. Here's what's really interesting. One of the keys, one of the keys to having God's blessing on your life, as we're talking about the Beatitudes, having, the God, having God's blessing on your life, one of the keys to having God's blessing on your life is to be hungry. <laughs> Spiritually hungry. Jesus says, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons, having spiritual hunger, in this message he's saying, having spiritual hunger is a good thing. Look what Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It isn't all the accomplishment. It isn't being famous. It isn't going to parties. It isn't about money and career. It's thirsting and hungering after righteousness that begins to satisfy the innermost quarters of your heart. The word filled means that you are satisfied, that your life is fulfilled, that you're finding meaning in life. But in order to have this fulfilled life that Jesus is describing here, you've got to have hunger for the right thing. Jesus says you've got to hunger for righteousness. Now, righteousness has this connotation of being in right standing with God, having this intimate, personal relationship God. But this personal relationship, this righteousness with God, compels you, however, to be a person who seeks and sees justice being accomplished everywhere. In other words, I pursue, you pursue, we pursue, we hunger and thirst, with this, for this personal standing with God, this personal relationship with God. And when you have this personal relationship with God, this intimacy with God, your Heavenly Father, 
That should lead you, in this moment of being righteous with him, it should lead you to be in right standing in a social context as well. So not only are you in right standing with God, that's what righteousness means. Not only are you in right standing with God, but you are in right standing on a social context as well. So if Jesus says, one of the eight keys to living a blessed life is the hunger and thirst for righteousness, then the question immediately should be in your mind, how then do I hunger for How do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? And beyond that is, what is righteousness? Righteousness is a big word. It's a big word in the Bible. It's used hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. For instance, in the Bible, it tells us that God is righteous. The Bible tells us that the Word, the Bible, is righteous. The Bible tells us that God created the universe and His kingdom, and it's based on righteousness. The Bible says that God loves righteousness. The Bible says that God rewards righteous people. The Bible says that Noah and Abraham were righteous men, and so on and so forth. So what in the world does it mean to be righteous? What does righteous mean? Now, if you were to take a theological dictionary and open it up to the description of righteousness, it can take up to 27 pages to define what righteousness means. But for you today, because you are here today, and those of you who are watching, for you today, I'm going to summarize 27 pages with two verses and a quote. Here is the first verse, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28. I'm trying to define righteousness for you. It says, the way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. The way to life. What does that mean? It means that when you are disconnected from God, you are not really living. It's, it's describing here. That if there is a disconnection from God, you're not really living. Oh yes, you are alive. You're breathing. You're functioning. But you're simply existing. You're not alive. And there are a lot of people in this world who are alive. They're functioning, but they aren't fully alive. They're simply existing. I'm hoping to make it to the weekend because on the weekend the party begins. You see? They really don't have a connection with God. I like what Augustine said, and here's the quote I promised you. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find our peace in thee. So Proverbs Chapter 12, verse 28 is the first verse. You've heard the quote. Here's the second verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So, Righteousness simply means being right with God and living right 
as God intends with justice. See, I've just condensed 27 pages into one sentence. I've just reduced all this theology contained in 27 in one sentence. Righteousness simply means being right with God and living right as God intends with justice. See, life is not about the acquisition of things or the achievement of goals. Life is about getting to know God who loves you and made you to fulfill a distinct purpose on earth. And until we understand that you were created by God and made for God, life isn't going to make much sense in your life. You may ask, well, why should I care about being right with God? My friends don't seem to care about being right with God. The people next door to me, my neighbors don't care about being right with God. The people at work don't seem to care about being right with God. In fact, I would submit to you, much of the world doesn't seem to be care about being right with God. But here's the reason why you and I should care. You and I should care because you are not going to experience life to the fullest until you are right with God. When you are connected with God, you're not going to embrace life and enjoy life and see fulfillment in your life until you do experience this immediate, intimate connection with God. You're not going to experience that. And the crazy thing is this. Here's the crazy thing. God gives people the choice whether to live life connected to Him or disconnected to Him. That's the amazing thing. God gives us the choice whether we want to be connected to Him or we are going to live a life disconnected to God. People can rebel against God. You can ignore God your entire life. You can pretend that God doesn't exist. You can even disobey God. You can be apathetic towards God. God never forces anybody to love Him because He wants people to choose to love God. People to be connected, to choose to be connected to God, to be close to Him, to be in relationship with God. God wants people to choose that. The choice is completely and totally ours. But the only problem is this. The only problem is that one day... You and I are going to stand before God and God is going to say, you didn't connect with me on earth. You didn't want to be close to me and intimate with me on earth. Why would you want to be close with me now in eternity? (laughs) That's what's going to happen to us. If you choose to love God, And be connected to God. Here's how God makes you righteous. Number one, you have to understand that you can't do it yourself. Ecclesiastes chapter 20, of chapter 7, verse 20 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. That's me. That's describing me. That's describing you. It's describing everybody. We are all unrighteous. Now I know that doesn't sound very good, and the fact remains that I can't make myself righteous. We are imperfect human beings. We all make mistakes. 
We have all sinned, we all fall short, and we can't measure up to God's standards. We can't even measure up to our own standards. And when I took my first breath on this planet, the moment I took my first breath on this planet, I stopped being perfect. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now friends, this verse shows the great chasm, the great separation that exists between God's perfect laws and our imperfections. That's what this verse shows. We struggle. We struggle with the basic tenets of the Ten Commandments. We lack integrity. We have coveted other people's things. We've put other things before God at different times in our lives. And the Bible says if you have hate in your heart, it's like murder. We struggle with, we struggle with even the Ten Commandments. See, the point is that we have a problem with imperfection. And the thing of it is, if... If God were to let imperfect people into heaven, heaven would be no better than this earth. Can you imagine if God let people into heaven who had sin in their lives, who had faults and all their weaknesses, the gossip, the injustice, the prejudices, the murder, the stress, the worry, all kinds of evil? Heaven, heaven would, no, would not be any better than this earth find it very interesting when random people are interviewed on the street. Oftentimes people are asked questions and they film what people's responses are. I find that very interesting. So people are on the streets and then somebody's filming and the question is asked, why do you think you're going to heaven? Often people respond with, well, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm better than most people in the world. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that you are better than some people in this world. I have no doubt that I am better than some of you in this world. But the fact is, none of us, none of us have achieved perfection. We all fall short, the Bible says. Let me, let, me explain, let me explain this. If you can just imagine this for a second. Just imagine this. Imagine that California is earth and Hawaii is heaven. Now, some of you already believe Hawaii is heaven, but let's just imagine that California is earth and Hawaii is heaven. And we decide that we are going to swim. We're going to earn our way to heaven by swimming to Hawaii. We're trying to get to heaven on our own because we're nice people and we're better than most people on this planet. Somebody starts swimming and they get about 100 meters from shore. They don't know how to swim very well. They're not swimming very fast and hard. They're not very good swimmers at all. They're about 100 meters from shore and they give up and they drown. So I get into the water I get into the water, and I'm in tip-top shape. I'm a fine physical specimen, and I start to swim, and I get about 10 kilometers out from shore, and I drown. But you 
are an Olympic swimmer. And you start swimming towards heaven, Hawaii. You start swimming, and you, because you're an Olympic swimmer, you get out to about 200 kilometers, and you're out there in the ocean, but you also drown. Do some people get further than other people? Absolutely. But nobody has swum all the way to Hawaii because all of us are imperfect. Nobody is perfect enough to swim all the way to Hawaii because it's too far. Oh yeah, some swimmers are better than other swimmers and some people swim further than other people, but nobody is going to swim all the way to Hawaii. It's just too far. In other words, listen, nobody can be made righteous by themselves. We cannot, we cannot earn it. We cannot be made right on our own. We just don't have that capacity. But here's what God does. God makes you righteous when you know that Jesus paid for your sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through verse 25. Notice what these words say. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of sin. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done. We're trying to swim to Hawaii. We're trying to make it. God doesn't save us because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of what is being described here in these verses. Again, imagine, suppose that you are a career criminal and you have lived a life of crime. I'm trying to describe these verses so we have a mental picture of what these verses are trying to describe for us. You're living a life of crime. You are caught. You go to court. You get convicted. You are given a life sentence for your lifetime of crime. The judge is sitting there, sitting there in his robe, and he puts his gavel down and he says to you, you have lived a lifetime of crime. You are now going to serve a life sentence for the rest of your life. You are condemned. When he says those words to the shock of everyone who's in the courtroom, the judge gets up, takes off his robe, walks off the bench, and stands next to you, and he says, the judge says, but I want to show you grace, and I want to show you mercy. I see potential in you, and I love you. I, the judge, am going to serve your sentence 
for you. You hear the gasp from the spectators in the courtroom. It's like oxygen being sucked out of the room because now the judge has become your savior. You're guilty. You're, you've lived a life of crime, absolutely. You are guilty of everything that you have done. But the judge now has become your savior. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. When you break God's laws, you must pay God's penalty. When you break man's laws, you must pay man's penalty. And that means somebody has to pay. Either you or somebody else. Somebody has got to pay for the things that we've done wrong in our life. And the judge says, I will be your Savior. I'm going to come down on this earth in human form and I'm going to die for your sins. Then you've got to accept God's righteousness. And that's the third point. You've got to accept God's forgiveness by faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Did you catch what we have to do here? That's all you have to do. All you have to do is accept the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And say that I believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. He died and paid for my sins. When you believe that, it's reckoned unto you as righteousness. You are now made in right standing with God. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Look at what it says. We are made right with God. That's righteousness. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. We all can be saved, no matter who we are. We all have done things. We've all have said things. We've all been imperfect. Yet we can be saved. All people, every single person. Not by doing good works. Not by trying to earn heaven by swimming to Hawaii. By simply trusting Jesus. By the way, if I can put a little paraphrase in here, this next part is absolutely free. By the way, that's the difference between Christianity and all other philosophies and all other religions in the world. Every other religion, with no exception, can be summed up with one word. Do. Every religion, every philosophy can be summed up with one word. Do. One religion says you've got to do things on this list in order to appease the gods and the wrath of God. Another religion would say that you've got to do these things in order that God won't punish you. Christianity is not summed up 
in the word do. Christianity is summed up in the word done. That's the difference. That's the difference. It was all done for you and for me 2,022 years ago on the cross upon which Jesus died. It is finished. It's all been done to you and for you. No amount of works that you have to do in order to achieve righteousness. No religion listed on any kind of form can give you forgiveness. Forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ. No matter what your religious background is, whether it's Catholic or Baptist or Buddhist or Muslim or Methodist or Mormon or Pentecostal or Presbyterian, atheist, agnostic, or you have no faith at all. It doesn't matter where you have come from. The only way that you can receive forgiveness from God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you choose to do that, it's reckoned unto you as righteousness. Now, now that we've talked about righteousness and how to receive righteousness, the next question that should prompt us in our mind, in our spirit, from Matthew chapter 5, because it said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, once we understand what righteousness is, is then, well, how, how do I maintain my spiritual hunger for God for the rest of my life? Now that I know what righteousness is, and I know that I'm a righteous person, well, how do I maintain spiritual hunger for God, for the rest of my life. Because like I said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So how do I maintain the spiritual appetite? How do I maintain the spiritual appetite tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next year, so that I can be close to God? How do I maintain that so I remain close to God? Well, the first thing you need to do is you always need to remind yourself every single morning that God loves you. God loves you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 through verse 19. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. Every single morning, friends, when you get up, you need to say, Lord, help me to remember how much you love me. Because the more you embrace that fact that God indeed loves you, the more you are going to love him back. It has to be a part of your life. You want to walk in the righteousness of God, you've got to understand how much God loves you. I think it's the dream of every little girl to dream of the day she walks down the aisle in a white dress toward her soon-to-be husband. But when Prince Charming doesn't come along, like a lady in Italy experienced, Laura Macy, she decided that she would create her own wedding ceremony for herself. She invited 70 guests she had a three-layer wedding cake. 
And in front of bridesmaids and the guests, she said, all by herself, she said, I do. Apparently, this is a new phenomenon that's happening in our world. It's a new, a, a new trend that is exploding across the world. It's called sologamy. Celebrating and embracing those who have not found a social affirmation of marriage. And this is what Laura, this is what Laura said, and I quote, I firmly believe that each of us must first of all love ourselves And if one day I find a man, my happiness will not depend on him. Certainly our happiness, listen, our happiness can't depend on other human beings. Neither can we depend upon ourselves for our own happiness. Love for oneself and love for others comes from something much greater. Love must be rooted in and must be based upon God's immeasurable love for us. The only way that you can love somebody back is when you understand how much God loves you. And it says in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 3, look what it says as we look at that verse. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Notice what it said. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made, listen to this, made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Secondly, your hunger determines your destiny. You are a spiritual being as I'm a spiritual being. And God has, in every one of our lives, in every one of our beings, there's this God-shaped hole in your life that only God can fill. And when you try to fill it, with status, with success, with passions and possessions and position and power or anything else other than God, life is not going to be fulfilling. Doctors have concluded that the loss of appetite is a symptom that you are sick. That's what doctors have concluded. So when you are sick, when you are ill and you don't feel good, the last thing that you want to do is you want to be eating. When you have a fever and your stomach is upset, there is a loss of appetite that happens. And that loss of appetite indicates that something is not right in your life. The same is true spiritually. If you are always thinking about something else instead of God and you're not going to have time for God, it's going to affect your spiritual life. If you're always thinking about politics, you're not going to have hunger for God. If you're always thinking about work and making money, you're not going to have any time for any type of hunger for God. If you're always thinking about sports, you're not going to have any time and hunger for God. If I'm filling my mind and life with other things that dominate my life, my hunger for God is going to dissipate. I'm not saying it's not going to be there. We, We have this crazy routine in our house. Gabby and I have this crazy thing in our life. It's, I come home, 
Every time I come home, I walk through the door. I start scrounging for food. And it's mostly junk food. Potato chips, cookies, cake that's been left on the counter, chocolate. And she says to me, every single time she says to me, don't fill up on that stuff before the meal. You know what I'm talking about. You've done that. I'm not the only one that's done that. You fill up, at, you fill up on appetizers before dinner, and then you're not hungry for the real meal. You've gone, you have gone to restaurants, and you sit there, and they bring the chips and the salsa, and they bring the bread and the butter, and you're gorging yourself on all the stuff that they're bringing. You haven't even ordered your meal yet. And when you order your meal, all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not hungry anymore. And you have filled up your stomach with the wrong kind of food. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 and 2 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good, and you will enjoy the finest food. That's the Lord speaking. Listen to me. You will eat what is good, and you will experience the finest food. I read this article recently about people starving to death. Starving to death, and their stomachs are full, completely eating worthless food. Their stomachs are full, but they have no, it has no nutritional value in it. In Australia, there was, during the, a, a time of Great Depression, and people had no food, the people started making porridge out of the spores of the Nardu plant. Nardu ferns are all throughout Australia. The only problem, the only problem of making porridge from Nardu spores was that there's no nutritional value in it. There's no fat, there's no carbohydrates, there's no protein, there's no minerals, there's no vitamins. It simply fills you up. There's no nutritional value in making porridge from the Nardu plant. It, it fills your stomach, you feel full, but there's no nutritional value in it. So this porridge would fill the stomachs of people, and yet people were dying of starvation. They were dying with full stomachs. That is a metaphor of our nation today. We are a nation. We are in Canada a nation of full stomachs, yet people are spiritually starving to death. I want to ask you this question right now. What are you hungry for? What are, what are you feeding your spirit? What are you putting inside your spirit? Because whatever it is, and you're trying to satisfy this hunger, this void, this God-shaped void in your life, whatever is satisfying your hunger, it's going to determine the destiny of your life. Oh, my last point and my time is up. Make knowing God, thirdly, your top priority. Happiness. Happiness, a, a blessed life, a happy life, is a byproduct of knowing God. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. 
my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Maybe you're watching today via the online or you're here in this sanctuary. Some of you may be going through a desert life experience right now. You feel like you're in the desert. You're in the desert financially. It's all dried up. Maybe you're feeling like you're in a desert with your career. It's all dried up. Maybe you're in a relationship and it's all dried up. There's a desert. You're in a desert. You're in a desert experience. And when you are in the desert, this verse tells us something significantly, and it's very important. It says, when you're in the desert, this verse tells us, when you're in the desert, you thirst for God. Because only God, in relationship with you, when you are in righteous standing, in right standing with God, when you're in the desert, you come to God, you will find satisfaction And he, as this verse describes for us, will quench the thirstiness and the longings of your heart. That's the promise that God makes to us. So for me and for you, what should be a top priority as we live through life, as we go through life, as we experience the ups and downs of life, we can still find happiness because when we call out to God, when we come in the name of God to Him and we say we are righteous, we want to be walk in the fullness of true satisfaction, quench the thirsting, quench the longing that is in my heart right now in this moment of being dried up financially, racially, uh, relationally, in our careers, whatever my life experience is, God, would you bring to me the satisfaction of knowing I can still be close to you more than anything else. That's what I want. When you do that, God will satisfy you every time. God will satisfy you every time. Listen, God will satisfy you every time. He will not disappoint you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, right standing with God, right standing with man in the social context, and He will give you everything that you need. Not what you want. Everything that you need. That's why it's so important That's why it's so important for us to understand the significance of coming together on Sundays. That's why it's so important that you understand the significance of finding support and encouragement with other people who are fellow believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, why it's so important for your spiritual well-being, why it's so important to start hanging out with people who can bring life into you when there's so much deadness and death all around us. There are people who will bring life into you because they are hanging with God and they want to exploit that into your life.
Live righteously. Be righteous. Come together as God's righteous people and experience the blessing of God in your life as we encourage each other in the faith. Man, it's time, church. It's time. For those of you who are watching, it's time to gather again. It's time to come and be righteous people in this world. It's time to stand up in righteousness with God and with one another. Let's do that. Let's do that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Those of you at home, join with your partner or by yourself. We're going to pray together today as we close this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray today, may these powerful words of Jesus, may these words of Jesus resonate deep within our spirits about the importance of walking and living in righteousness, to thirst and to hunger for the true things that will last eternally. Father, let us not be swept up with some of the worldly pursuits, but let us seek after your love. Let us seek after your forgiveness. Let us be in right standing with you day in and day out so that we can walk in true happiness, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray this for all people in this sanctuary. I pray this for people who are watching at home right now. May we Walk in rightness with God, hungering and thirsting after you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. want to bless you. Have a great weekend. The worship team is going to play, but you're free to go. You're dismissed. Have a great, team, great day. See you next week. Next week, as restrictions are being lifted on March 1st, we're wanting people to come together. You still may have to wear a mask here, but come, come back to church. We look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Have a great week.